You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, there is quite a bit going on today. Um, We've got the PFF grades up. Of course, I want to go through that. I want to kind of stop and reflect on where we are in terms of the playoffs and and all of that, because obviously it matters. We are one game away, one victory away in Lambeau Field against the Chicago Bears away from going to the playoffs in year one of the Jordan Love era. And it would be great to just peek ahead a little bit. I don't want to get ahead of myself too much into the uh, possible scenarios therein. But why don't we get started right off the bat with the the PFF grades. We'll see where that leaves us in terms of time. I do want to start with special teams because, again, probably the least interesting. Two guys that graded out really well, Bo Melton, just one snap, but I mean, he was out there one time and made a tackle, so you can't really beat that. And Eric Wilson. Eric Wilson, um, not the best as far as his, you know, what what I saw him do as a linebacker, but on special teams, I'm a big fan of Eric Wilson. On the negative side, Benny Sapp, Anthony Johnson, Tucker Kraft, Zane Anderson. Not good. All right. Offensively, there is some fantastic news and some terrible news, and let's start with the bad news. The bad news is And this has been every week, and it continues to get worse, the offensive line. I know there were no sacks. Um, But again, I was was very confused with no sacks, and the offensive line looked great. And they they had mentioned on the PFF thing, maybe I read it wrong, that the, the pressure rate was just ridiculously low, which ended up, as we'll see, not being the case. Um, But... I just I didn't understand because I felt like I watched Jordan just running for his life and throwing off his back foot. And sometimes maybe he doesn't necessarily have to, but he almost has to. And the grades certainly reflect what I thought I saw. The lowest graded person on this team is Josh Myers with a 9.7 pass blocking grade. This has got to be his worst grade of his entire career. I mean, his, his, his worst game of his entire career. But the problem is, let, let, let's just do this. I want to go back to last year with Josh Myers here. These are his pass blocking grades. He ended with a 74 pass blocking grade. The run blocking was a 53, which isn't great. But I, I want to focus on the pass blocking here because I am beyond confused with how this guy has fallen to the degree that he has fallen. Okay? I'm just going to round a little bit here. 60, 80, 70, 60, 70, 60, 80, 60, 60, 60, 80, 60, 70, 60, 50, 70, 70. So he had one game that was a 50. Everything else was 60s, 70s, and 80s. And again, he ended with a 75. He's a good pass blocker. Now, 2023, we get 60, 60, 60, 60, 70, and then 85. Slow start, but hey, he's back. We're ready to go. Then it's 50-50, which is weird. Because, I mean, they're high 50s, close to 60. But still, he's only had 150 in his career. Now he's got two. Then after that is a 40. That's never happened. That's bad. But he had an 89 run blocking grade, so kind of weird, but whatever. Then 70, okay, we're back. And then 40 again, which again, like what the heck? And then 70. So it's kind of, I've, I've used the analogy a couple times of like a flickering light. This one's starting to flicker off more, right? So, so you got the 250s and then a 40, it went off and then it comes back, like 76. Like, okay, we're back. And then 40 again, then 70. 
Like, what the heck is going on? Here's what it's been the last four weeks, pass blocking grade. Are you ready? 30, and I'm not talking like 39, 30.0, then 44, 29.7, and 9.7. He has a 51.6 pass blocking grade and a 54.2 run blocking grade. He has got to be the worst pass blocking offensive lineman over the last four weeks in the NFL. And that's against the Giants, the Bucks, the Panthers, and the Vikings. This is not Aaron Donald, okay? I'm not saying they don't have a couple of good players mixed in there. Carolina's got a pretty solid guy in the middle. But give me a freaking break. What is going on with Josh Myers? This is unbelievable. I don't, I don't understand it. But, I mean, I, I... Again, I had mentioned that, you know, John Runyon was escaping scrutiny because everyone hated Josh Myers so much, despite the fact that John Runyon was really, really playing terribly. And then Josh Myers comes out and is just the absolute freaking worst. I mean, it's it's horrific how bad he's playing. Horrific. And I have no idea. I don't know if they changed something in terms of the way that they play. I don't know. Maybe there is some kind of a change that doesn't really suit the guys on the interior because that's where the problems seem to be. I mean, we got a seventh-round guy out on the outside. The tackle seem to be doing fine. But on the interior, they just cannot do it. Speaking of, uh, Royce Newman came in. It looked like he played tackle for a little while, whatever. He was awful. He was our second-worst player with an 18 pass-blocking grade. Yash Nyman, who continues to prove that he should not have won the job, was the third-worst player. Then Josiah, who makes me sad. Then John Runyon. Then Elton Jenkins. Five of our bottom six are all offensive linemen. Now, Elton Jenkins did have a 77.6 pass blocking grade, 48 run blocking. Again, I don't like that. I wish the run blocking was better. But if you got high 70s pass blocking, whatever. Um, But, I mean, you know, John Runyon, 50.7 run blocking grade, 62 pass blocking. Now, it's average pass, but I mean, you, you, that's, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. And even Rasheed Walker, who was way up as far as, you know, the grades, I mean, he was 12th out of 21. He had a 59 overall grade. The only offensive linemen that were graded out positively was Sean Ryan with a 64 grade, which obviously is not good, but it's better than everybody else. 62 pass blocking, 62 run blocking. And Zach Tom with his 77 grade, 73 pass blocking, 77 run blocking. Guy's just a freaking stud over there. But everything else is crumbling. I mean, you got Rashid and Zach Tom who are getting the job done, more or less. Apparently, Sean Ryan showed up a little bit today. It's just it's just awful, though. It's not good. It's not good enough. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold says so. All right, that's the, the, the ugliness that um, absolutely needs to be rectified. And, and you know, again, th- there is a positive to this. The positive is... If this is our offense, and this is Jordan Love, with all the injured wide receivers that we have, no Wicks, no Watson, reads in once in a while, no offensive line, no Luke Musgrave, who is really coming on strong, and, and, and no offensive line, apparently? Like, let's get this guy an offensive line for freaking crying out loud here. By the way, as the offensive line is crumbling and everything else is falling apart, do you know what the weighted... Um, rank of our offenses sixth best i mean for crying out loud listen i gave all the blame to jordan love when things weren't working and i said this offense will only go as far as jordan love takes it we are here right now because of jordan love period i i all do respect to bo melton 
and Malik Heath and, and all the little piles of scraps that we've been able to put together to make this thing work. Jordan Love, with no weapons, no offensive line, nothing. You know, Tucker Craft is coming along decent and whatever. Whatever. The bottom line is, his top receivers right now, Brian Gutekunst's number one priority is to replace them. There's no chance in the world Gutekunst is looking at this going, hey, man, we're good at wide receiver. We got Bo Melton. No offense, and I'm not saying get him off the team. I'm saying let's move him back down the depth chart a little bit. No way in the world are these the guys, aside from Jaden Reed, obviously. I mean, he's, he's the guy in the slot. And Christian Watson, who's not out there, hopefully is is the guy. And then after that, I think they need to find somebody else. So right now it's Jaden Reed and nobody that's a starter. And a banged up Aaron Jones, when he can, when he's able to get out there on the field, which is rare, and he's fighting. I'm not dogging him. I'm I, Sixth best offense via DVOA. Packers defense making strides. They're sitting at uh, 30th. <laughs> they didn't move. Sorry, defense. You did your best, but uh, didn't move the needle at all. Do you know who's 29th, by the way? 29th ranked defense? The Eagles. Crazy. Crazy world. Anyways, so that's the positive. The positive within the negative. This thing is working really well. San Francisco, Baltimore, Buffalo, uh, LA, Miami, and then the Packers. That is the order right now for the best offenses in football ahead of Detroit, Dallas, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Seattle. Crazy. All right, let's talk about some of the positives. Let's move up a little bit. We're still in the 60s, but Tucker Craft had a 64.7 grade, which is annoying. However, they gave him a 77.2 receiving grade. So the negatives that they gave were blocking. 49 run blocking grade, 49 pass blocking grade, and I'm not sure any of us can necessarily disagree with that. Um... I don't know what you saw, but the few times I saw him try to block, it wasn't the prettiest thing in the world. But he's very, very young. He's coming along like a beast as a receiver. Even if he never becomes a blocker, I can get over it. But I'm also willing to be patient with Tucker Craft. Uh, ben Sims with a 68. He was almost the exact opposite. He had a 50 receiving grade, but 72.4 pass blocking, 73.1 run blocking. I mean, again, you know how I am with guys like Ben Sims. 2023 undrafted free agent like it's cool it's fun to kind of play with until you find like a real stud that can replace him or whatever but when you've already got you know Musgrave as your deep threat type of guy Tucker as you know your Tucker type of guy <laughs> and you want a blocker I'm, I'm not saying Ben Sims is that guy but if, if that's what he can do I mean I'm not necessarily looking for an elite number three tight end maybe maybe there's a role for Ben Sims I don't know then you got Patrick Taylor, just about a 70, 69.4. Um, he did have an 86 pass blocking grade. Everything else was pretty much average, the receiving, the running, and the run blocking. Then we get a big jump. We go from 69 up to 77, which is where Zach Tom was. We already talked about him using the 70s in both run blocking and pass blocking. Then at six, we have Sean Clifford, of course, the best. Well, second best quarterback, but still very good. Probably number one on the Bears. Um... 78.4 grade, 76 passing. A.J. Dillon with a 78.6 grade. Uh, not so much in the blocking category or receiving. Obviously, he doesn't really get a lot of passes with the broken thumb. But a 76.5 rushing grade, which is great. Aaron Jones, 83.6. And the best, I mean, I shouldn't say the best part. It's great that Aaron Jones had a good day. We'll get into some of the statistics, maybe. 
84.4 rushing grade. My favorite part about this, though, um, you know, again, all due respect to Aaron, who had a great day, and I'm happy for him, is that his 83.6 grade is the fourth best grade <laughs> on the team. And the next highest is kind of a big jump. 89.5 grade, let's just call it a 90. In fact, his uh, receiving grade was a 90. It was 89.9. Bo freaking Melton. And look, man, am I, am, am I a Bo Melton believer? Not necessarily. Seventh round pick. He's got pretty elite speed, but I mean, you know, I just don't think it's going to be a thing, but check it out. He played week 12, just two snaps, right? He had a 60 grade. Why? Because he had two snaps. He didn't do anything. Week 15, they gave him 18 opportunities. He had a 70 grade in that game because of his 82.3 run blocking grade. So he's just, he's out there Malik Heath in it. Like, you're going to give me opportunities? I'm going to take full advantage of these freaking opportunities. 5'11", 189, he's out there run blocking. Just tearing it up as a run blocker. And then he had a 65 receiving grade, you know, whatever. Okay, week 16, he gets even more opportunities. So 15, he had that. 16, we're going to give him from 18 snaps up to 25. He has almost an 80 grade, 79.1, 75.6 receiving grade. Guess what we do? We give him more opportunities. Against Minnesota, 49. What does he do? 90. So he went from a 70 to an 80 to a 90. Is literally what he did in three weeks. Now, again, I'm very skeptical. But I'm also very happy with what he's been able to do. And I love seeing the team rally around him. There's a video of him coming down the hallway when Christian Watson and and, uh, Romeo Dobbs go back down the tunnel to find him and start mobbing the guy. And then he gets mobbed again in the locker room when he gets a game ball. Obviously very happy for him. Then the next highest graded is Jordan Love with a 90.8 grade, 90.5 passing grade. Call it a 91. Um... And it was actually his second highest graded game of the year. Went over some of this stuff on social media. But let me, let me just relive a little bit for you. When, when the season started again, I was, I was more on the Jordan Love skeptic side. And again, I think, I think that I was, um, I'm okay with my assessment of the situation at the time. I have no issue with anything I said. Because given the situation, I'd say it again. But I also think it kind of lends a little bit of credence. So when I when I kind of go seemingly over the top with my praise of Jordan Love, I, I feel like it's I have the backing of not just being somebody who's just going to praise him no matter what. There were a lot of people talking when he had his first couple games, three touchdowns, no intercept. You know, he, he was he was doing doing some stuff early, but some stuff just wasn't right. You know, the the first half was bad and the second half was great. And if you go look at it, it's like Aaron Rodgers had a 300-yard passing game early in the season. He had like 290 grades early in the season. And Jordan Love was 60, 60, 60, 60, 50, 60, 60. Now, I don't know at exactly what point. But it's like, look, he's he's never actually cracked that. Like, he's done some cool stuff, I guess, kind of. Got a bunch of touchdowns and everything, which is great. And uh, won a couple games, beat the Bears. That's nice. But he hasn't like done those things, the, that next level stuff. He's officially done it now. Let me just read what I wrote so I don't have to re-remember everything I said. Early, uh, I'll just skip all the stuff that I already said. Jordan Love right now has the same number of games graded over 80, which is four. So Rodgers and Love, we're talking 2008 Rodgers now. This is what I'm referring to if you didn't know. I was saying before that Rodgers' first year was better than Jordan's first year. But as of this time, they both ended up with four games over 80. Now, you could say there's one more game, but Rodgers didn't have that extra game, so this is a fine spot to assess it. Jordan now has two elite games after this performance. Rodgers only had one. The overall grade Jordan has right now is higher than Rodgers' overall grade. He also had more touchdowns, less interceptions, 
a higher big-time throw percentage, and a lower turnover-worthy play percentage. Love's worst game, because a lot of people will say, like, I've seen some people talk about, well, you you look at, like, Jordan's downside and, and when he plays bad. Like, Rodgers never had that. Rodgers had three games that were worse than Jordan Love's, any game that Jordan Love played this year. So Rodgers' lows were actually lower in his first year. So, you know, again, to, to be very clear, this is not to make a statement that we officially have Rodgers all over again. That's not the case. And for anybody that's upset about, oh, you just you show up about Rodgers, this has nothing to do with knocking Rodgers. I'm comparing him to Rodgers specifically because Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So if that's where your mind's going, you're a moron, shut up. This is not about tearing down Rodgers. This is about Jordan Love has matched the performance of a guy who is one of the greatest of all time, and that's a positive for Jordan Love, period. The bar just keeps getting set higher and higher, and he just keeps clearing the bar. Another really important thing is, I mentioned everybody has their own thing. Everybody has their own sort of um, problems that that you assess. And a lot of people were high on Jordan because, you know, they, they some of those boxes were already checked. And for a lot of people, it was, I, I want to see the upside. And so they started seeing some of the crazy throws, and they're like, he's the guy, he's the, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm sold. I always knew the upside, so that didn't really move me very much. What were my things? I said it right on the podcast prior even to the the year that started. So it wasn't just like I saw a couple games and then I had some complaints. I mean, I, I had these issues coming into the season. Number one, his ability under pressure. He was terrible under pressure. Number two, general accuracy. Now, this one came about as the season went on. And then deep passing. So deep passing and under pressure were my two biggest coming into the season. I added accuracy because it became a serious problem. Since week nine, which is when Jordan just snapped and, and came out of nowhere, he is the second highest graded quarterback under pressure behind only Lamar. And if you look specifically at passing, he's the second highest graded quarterback, I think, behind only um, Herbert. He is the fourth highest graded quarterback on passes that are 20 or more yards down the field, and he is seventh in adjusted completion percentage. He was one of the least accurate quarterbacks in the entire NFL, which is a very serious problem, as I said. As of week nine, he is the seventh most accurate quarterback in the NFL. That is freaking ridiculous. I'm also now getting a ton of pushback on this offensive line thing, which I understand. I mean, it's so funny to me because when the season started, it was like, this offensive line is terrible. And I'm like, bro, he is one of the least pressured quarterbacks in the entire NFL. What are you talking about? There was like this big concerted effort to protect Jordan Love at all costs. Like the bad throws were the wide receiver's fault and the offensive line's terrible. It's like, he's like the second least pressured quarterback. Two is the only one that's pressured less, right? Now I'm I'm like, look, I'm, I'm just looking at it. And the guys, especially individually, are getting really bad. I mean, there's some good offensive linemen. And yeah, the... The, the the pressures are not the worst. The sacks were non-existent. Again, I think a lot of that is Jordan Love, but it's it's right there. And, and it's one of those things where I look at the grades to help project out into the future. You're looking at, oh, it's zero sacks. What are you complaining about? Like, it's a good performance. It was a good performance. Yesterday was a performance. I'm trying to project out the future. I'm not looking at the zero sacks to project out into the future. I'm looking at offensive linemen getting worse every week. I'm looking at Josh Myers bottoming out and John Runyon bottoming out, and Elton Jenkins like kind of flickering a little bit. And um, for whatever reason, constantly shuffling out left tackles, all of which are awful, you know, when we shuffle. To me, that is just begging for like a four-sack game. 
like the fact that they didn't get home and, and whatnot, that's that's fantastic. But it's it's going to come if we don't get this cleaned up. This is awful. You know, it's like, why can't Jordan Love step up into his throws? He's constantly doing this stuff off his back foot. Maybe it's because there's constant pressure up the middle because Josh Myers can't block anyone. So as captain of the we actually have a really good offensive line fan club, I'm telling you, this is a problem. We've done a full like 180 where everybody that was anti-Josh Myers is now fighting me about how good the offensive line is. And I'm sitting here saying we got to replace Josh Myers. I don't know what's happened in the universe. Tell you what, why don't we take a break? We'll come back. We'll we'll finish this thing. I, I could just do the last one, but I don't want to. 20 minutes. Nice little stopping spot. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. The highest graded Green Bay Packer wide receiver, Jaden Reed. Now we've already gone in depth talking about Jaden Reed, so we don't need to necessarily do that. But a 93 PFF grade, 92.2 receiving grade. What a day for freaking Jaden Reed. And this is another guy. I mean, he. so Jordan was sort of week nine. Jaden is more or less week 10. I mean, you can just draw a line. Now, he did have a good week in week two against Atlanta, as far as his grades are concerned. That's because he had two touchdowns in that game. But, I mean, other than that, it's 60-50, 60-50, 60-50-50. Starting in week 10, it's... 80, 70, 70, 60, 50, 70, 93. The complete difference between weeks 1 through 9 and 10 through 17, well, I'll tell you, although that 83 is going to throw it off. Nah, never mind. I'm not even going to bother. It's going to take me forever, and the grades are going to be close, and I'm going to be annoyed. But, I mean, he's he scored a touchdown in one, two, three, four different games compared to just the two games in, you know, more opportunities, 1 through 9 compared to 10 through 17. Nine games compared to seven games. And of course, there were two touchdowns in Minnesota. So Jordan Love hit his stride. Tucker Craft has hit his stride. Jaden Reed has hit his stride. Christian Watson can't get his footing because he's injured. Luke Musgrave had hit his stride and then got injured. Man, I'm just I'm I'm just trying to tell you, man. Now I'll I'll say what I've been saying. We gotta fix the defense and um we gotta stay healthy. And I think if we can do that, this is a Super Bowl contending team, and I don't know that that's really massively debatable at this point in time. 
But all right, Jordan Love, in this here game, we know the basic stats. However, four big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays. I think that was the um, estimation last night, but they made it official. 12.1% big-time throw rate. That's a big number. His adjusted completion percentage was 81.3%. His completion percentage was 72.7%. He was under pressure 33.3% of the time, which again is, is not the worst. It's not like we had early in the season when it was like the low 20s and people were throwing a temper tantrum about it. And it's like, I'm, I'm telling you, it ain't that bad. But 33.3% of the time, so one third exactly. And while under pressure, he had a 78.7 grade. That's incredible. He was 9 of 11, 82% completion percentage, went under pressure, 92 yards, and two touchdowns. One big-time throw, zero turnover-worthy plays, a 141 passer rating, went under pressure. How about when he was kept clean? Well, let me tell you about it. 15 of 22, 68.2% completion rate, 164 yards, one touchdown, 91.4 PFF grade, 90.3 passing grade, three big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays, 105.1 passer rating. His grade was higher while kept clean. You could argue, though, at least statistically, he was better under pressure. Absolutely crazy. Play action, I think everybody's noticed he's been just an absolute freak as far as play action. I should check this against the league, but that's there's there's no doubt about it. Now, granted, with no play action, which was 70% of the time, he was 17 of 23, 74% completion percentage, 153 yards and two touchdowns, had a 76.4 grade, one big-time throw. So he had a good day with no play action, 120.4 passer rating. However, with play action, which has just been a thing lately, he was 7 of 10, 103 yards and a touchdown, 95 PFF grade. So league-wide, he's actually relatively low. So I think this is kind of a newer development as far as the Packers dominating with play action. But um, yeah, that's he had a heck of a day with play action in this game. Looking at the wide receivers, I mean, we already went over the grades, but um, the yards per route run are pretty ridiculous. Tucker Craft was at 1.85, which is pretty solid. Bo Melton was at 5, excuse me, 4.38. Jaden Reed, 5.93. That brings him up to 1.89, which is, I mean, man. So he had, in his first two weeks, he was over two yards per route run. Then he didn't hit it again until week 10. Then it was all ones and zeros until week 15, and it was 3.06 and now 5.93. Arguably his best two weeks have been his last two weeks. And then again with the offensive line, yes, zero sacks. There were two hits and 13 hurries in this game. 15 times Jordan Love was pressured. Um, at left tackle, we had Rashid Walker, 66 pass blocking grade, 52 run blocking. That is not good enough. At left guard, 77.6 pass blocking is great. 48.5 run blocking is abysmal. Josh Myers, 9.7 pass blocking grade and 49.5 run blocking is horrific. At right guard, 62.4 pass blocking, 50.7 run blocking is not good enough. And then at right tackle, of course, we have uh, Zach Tom, who is fantastic. Unfortunately, we also had Yash Nyman in there with some terrible grades. Where the heck was, uh, what's his name? Oh, Royce played a little left guard, I guess is where he was. So, you know, and, and again, 
this isn't that hard to figure out. I understand it's confusing because like, well, I thought the offensive line was good. Everybody's telling me it's good. Why is it, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm constantly saying the opposite of what everybody's telling you. But it's, you know the answer to the question. You watched Jordan Love throw off his back foot all night long. It wasn't good. Well, what about Aaron Jones? Like, we're running the ball well. That's because of Aaron Jones. How many times, I, at least on the live stream, maybe it's just me and some of the guys in the live stream who are noticing this, but have you ever noticed when Aaron Jones is really playing well, he seems to squeak through holes that are non-existent? And then when A.J. Dillon comes out, it's not there. And also, Aaron Jones hasn't really played much this year. And when he has, he hasn't really been himself. This is what Aaron Jones always does. It's not the run blocking that makes Aaron Jones good. He doesn't need much to be able to make things work. He needs almost nothing. So no, the offensive line is not some kind of superpower, powerhouse, nothing. It's bad. As far as I'm concerned, we have like two offensive linemen. Elton Jenkins, who's not going anywhere because he got a bunch of money and he needs to step it up. Zach Tom, who's doing great, and everybody else, eh, eh. I know we all like Rashid, but I would have no problem getting a better tackle. All right, let's flip it over to defense real quick. Nothing actually horrible on defense. Again, I, I for, for whatever reason, it's somewhat arbitrary. I kind of put 55 as the line. Anything above 55, you're basically pretty much average. Below 55, Eric Wilson, who, you know, 27 tackling grade, we all saw it. He's trying to go out there tackle a tight end by the shoulders, and he get made to look stupid. Wasn't great, but he had a good time on special teams, so I'm over it. Carrington Valentine, who everybody thought was fantastic, had a 51.9 grade. A lot of that was run defense and tackling, but even the coverage wasn't super great. And then Kingsley was the only guy below a 50, and it was just a 47.7. Not trying to fluff it off. Obviously, we need better than that. But even still, it's not the end of the world, and he had three pressures on 18 attempts. So from a pressure percentage standpoint, he definitely checked that box. So I'm not super mad about it. Above that, we have Darnell Savage at a 56.7. No, that isn't good enough. We definitely need to see better than that. Um, Darnell Savage, it's just it's just not a thing, man. I mean, he, he had week one, 73.5 grade, which is great. I was hoping that would be a thing. Uh, against Kansas City, he had an 85 grade. Otherwise, he's lived in the 50s. He's just been bad all year. And, you know, I mean, yes, injuries and all that, but it's been two years prior to that, that we just haven't seen anything out of Darnell. So, you know, if you weren't over it before, it's time. Kenny Clark, um, a lot of people upset with his grade. Kenny Clark's the same thing. I mean, he, he has, first of all, yes, they, they and they acknowledge the pressures, six pressures on 29 attempts, but they gave him a 75 pass rush grade, so they don't disagree. The problem is he had a 26 tackling grade and a 58 run defense grade. Let me just run through his grades for the season. Kenny Clark, I mean, it's just, it's not freaking good enough since 2021. And even then, it was like a far cry from 2018. 71 in week one, that's fine. Then it was 60, 60, 50, 50, 40, 50, 60. That's a lot of weeks of just not doing it. Then it was 70, 89.8, and 70. So three good games, Pittsburgh, Chargers, Detroit. Since then, it's been 60, 60, 60, 60, 50. That's not good enough. Now his pressure rate in the sacks, like the pass rush is fine. And he's grading out fine there. 74 grade. And, and listen, maybe that's just what he is. Maybe he's a, he's an above average pass rusher that cannot stop the run and is a terrible tackler. 59 run defense grade, 40 tackling grade. Maybe that's just what he is. And we can live with it. And listen, part of me is like, I, I think I can. At some point, we got to get somebody that can stop the run. But if we're just going to let Kenny T off, and he's going to get 56 pressures on 466 attempts and eight sacks. I think I can live with that. But it's a little unfortunate to pay him like a premier defensive lineman 
and really to get, again, sort of an above average pass rusher and a below average run defender because he's not being paid as though he's an above average pass rusher and a below average run defender. He's being paid as though he's a top five defensive tackle. So that, I guess, would be sort of my frustration. Um, above that, we have Carl Brooks, who played 14 snaps with a basically a perfectly 60 grade, one pressure, 14 attempts, didn't play anything but pass rush. Then Quay Walker, 64.5, Lucas Van Ness, 65. Again, I'd like to see more from Lucas, but I'm very willing to be patient. And he has gotten better. Uh, his last four weeks have been some of his best four weeks. The pass rush isn't fantastic, but the run defense has actually been stepping up quite a bit. And as far as tackling goes, this guy is wildly consistent. He had one bad game in week 10 against Pittsburgh. But um, let's see, where is his tackling? He's missed two tackles the entire season. 6.7 missed tackle rate, percent missed tackle rate, whatever. So he's a, he's a solid dude. We know what he can do. We know he's strong. I think he just got a lot of development to go. Um and that's fine. And again, I already did the thing where I compared him to Rashawn. I think he's a little bit ahead of Rashawn. Young guy, lots of upside, lots of potential. We can we can wait and see. Um, then it was Keyshawn Nixon. This is when we jump into the good, right? So we, we went from kind of the below average with Carl Brooks. Then we jumped into the average. It was just Quay and Van Ness, and that's it, 64 and 65. Then we jump up to 72. Keyshawn Nixon had a heck of a day, especially coverage. We'll get into the specifics, but just solid across the board. Then Devontae Wyatt. Um, he was also somewhat negative run defense and tackling, but his pass rush was so high that, uh, they, they gave him a 72 grade. He had four pressures and a sack on 20 attempts. He's been really solid. As I've mentioned, as a pass rusher, I think he's starting to get some notoriety and some, you know, he's being noticed more by Packer fans, I think, which is good. Colby Wooden, 72.3 grade. I always get him confused. Which one is, uh, the good one, which one's the bad one. (laughs) I hate to phrase it that way. Uh, I actually don't even know now that I look at it. I don't know. But uh, anyways, Corey Ballantyne did have a 72.4 grade, pretty solid across the board. Rashawn Gary, 73.1, 77 run defense, 73 tackling, 50 or a 60 pass rush. But I mean, it must have just been that he was, I think part of it is he's getting double teamed a ton. So he's just kind of non-existent on a lot of plays and we can, we can verify that or whatever. But he still ended up with eight pressures on 24 attempts, which is stupid. That's just stupid. And and again, I've said many times, you can give me a low pass rush grade and give me numbers like that, and I couldn't care less. I, I will disregard your grades every day of the week. Anthony Johnson actually had a six, 73 grade, which is funny. He only played two snaps, but good for him. Jonathan Owens with a 75.6. He had a really good game. TJ Slayton with an 83.5. Um, been pretty critical of him. He's very, very up and down. He, he, so he had like a borderline elite grade week eight, borderline elite week 14, and, you know, not quite borderline elite, but in the eighties week 17 against Minnesota, but it's been pretty rough outside of that. So he's, he's very, very up and down when he's good, you know it and you see it and he's just fantastic. And it means a lot. I mean, I, I don't, I, I think when TJ Slayton plays like this, it it has a big difference. Now, granted, the last two games for Minnesota and the Giants, which we lost, but I think it's just such a boost to this team to be able to have, you know, a little bit of a lift from Slayton. Now, granted, this was mostly pass rush, actually, as far as his grade, but I don't think he's necessarily consistent enough. Then we get Isaiah McDuffie, finally got the guy some respect. I thought last week he played really well. They gave him a terrible grade. This is his highest graded game of the season, probably the best of his entire career. Um, 
Just glad that he's finally getting some love. And then at the top with a 90.3 grade, Preston Smith. Four pressures, 20 attempts, and a sack. Had a 60 run defense grade, 70 tackling grade, 90 pass rush grade. Had a heck of a day. Uh, Run defense, always kind of a problem. The only positively graded run defender was Rashawn Gary. As far as poorer grades were Kingsley and Igbari and Carrington Valentine. Tackling the bad grades, Valentine, Wyatt, Wilson, Savage, and Kenny Clark. Pass rush, we actually had a lot of really good grades. Quay Walker, Colby Wooden, Isaiah McDuffie, Kenny Clark, Keyshawn Nixon, Devontae Wyatt, TJ Slayton, and Preston Smith. Almost never see that many positive pass rush grades. That's a tough grade to crack, especially to have somebody in the 90s. Nobody really with a terrible grade. Eric Wilson had a 54-7. That was the worst. And then coverage, um, 50s were Darnell Savage, Carrington Valentine, and Eric Wilson. Positive grades, Anthony Johnson, Corey Ballantyne, Jonathan Owens, Keyshawn Nixon, and Isaiah McDuffie with an 87.3. Pressures we covered a little bit, but again, at the top, Rashawn Gary with eight on 24 attempts. Say what you want about, you know, where he's been the last couple of weeks. We needed this. I mean, it's it's not a 90 grade, but 33% pressure rate. Um, he needed that. A little bit of a bounce back. Um, he also, I think, needs some help around him because it's just he's getting double teamed every single freaking play. We need other guys to step up, and when they do, that's when you might see Rashawn start to get a little bit of a little bit of help as far as not being double teamed every time. Kenny Clark was second highest, six of twenty nine attempts. It's about twenty one percent, which is fantastic. Devontae Wyatt right at twenty percent and a sack. Preston had four and a sack. Kingsley three on eighteen attempts. Lucas Van Ness two on fifteen attempts, which again is solid plus a sack. So I don't have an issue with that whatsoever. He's not getting a ton of opportunities, and he, he took advantage of what he had in this game. Uh, Wooden, two pressures and a sack on just seven attempts, which is phenomenal. Quay Walker, two uh, two pressures on just three attempts and a sack. That's, I mean, beyond ridiculous. TJ Slayton, two pressures, 10 attempts. Carl Brooks had a pressure on 14 attempts. Isaiah McDuffie had a pressure on one attempt and a sack. So he had one attempt, and he sacked the guy. Keyshawn Nixon, two attempts and sacked a guy. What's really cool about this, I don't know if I've seen this before, this is what, 12 different players generated a pressure and seven sacks, all seven from different players. That's that's crazy. I mean, they're, they're, most of the team had a pressure. The only people on this entire team that had no pressures were Ballantyne, Anthony Johnson, Jonathan Owens, Carrington Valentine, Eric Wilson, and Darnell Savage. And of that group, the only person that tried to pressure anyone was Eric Wilson. Every other player, including guys that had one, two, and three attempts, one attempt for McDuffie, one, uh, two attempts for Keyshawn, three attempts for Quay, every single one of them reached the quarterback. This is one of the better and more dominant pass rush performances of the Packers this year. Again, sacks from Wyatt, Smith, Lucas Van Ness, Colby Wooden, Quay Walker, Isaiah McDuffie, and Keyshawn Nixon. Hits on the quarterback, two by Preston, one from Quay, one from Kingsley, one from Wyatt, and one from Carl Brooks. Uh, stops, we had a ton. Keyshawn Nixon had five. Have a day, dude. Uh, two from Slayton and Wilson, and then one from Wooden, Walker, Enigbare, Wyatt, Valentine, Clark, and Preston Smith. And then uh, finally getting into the coverage stuff, the most targeted was Corey Ballantyne, but he had only three receptions for 33 yards on his nine targets including a pick and a pass breakup, 5.6 passer rating when targeted. 
Carrington Valentine was the next most targeted. Six targets, three receptions, 32 yards, 66 pass rating when targeted. Don't have an issue with that whatsoever. Uh, Quay Walker, four targets, four receptions, 38 yards. Eh. Keyshawn Nixon, four targets, four receptions, 20 yards. He did give up a touchdown, but also had a pass breakup. Not the greatest when you include the touchdown, but whatever. Eric Wilson, three targets, three receptions, 48 yards. Jonathan Owens, one target, zero receptions, and a pass breakup. You got to love that. Isaiah McDuffie, one target, zero receptions, one pass breakup. Love that. Darnell Savage, one target, one reception, nine yards. That's nothing. Wait, did he get a touchdown? No. Why is it pass rating so high? And then, uh, in addition, Kingsley, Anthony Johnson, and Kenny Clark all were uh, in coverage. Yes, Kenny Clark was in coverage twice. None of them were targeted. All right, let's take our final break. I want to take a look at, uh, again, the current standings. I mean, as of today, the Green Bay Packers are in the playoffs. It's just a matter of can they hold on to it for one more week. We'll take a look at that, some of the playoff seedings and standings, and what could end up being the Green Bay Packers situation. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. So as of right now, the Green Bay Packers have the number seventh, uh, number seven seed and we'll see the Dallas Cowboys more than likely. Well, I shouldn't say more. That, that's where it's at right now. If the Green Bay Packers win, obviously that doesn't change. That's just kind of things staying as it is. The, the interesting dynamic here is that the Rams are playing the 49ers. If the Rams lose, the Rams have the number six seed. If the Rams lose, which they more than likely will. I mean, the Rams are playing really good football right now. Um, I hate the 49ers and all, but if the 49ers end up beating them and it's in San Francisco, the Green Bay Packers move to the number six seed. Now, all, all the things staying the same, 49ers have the number one seed. Dallas would be number two, so they would play the, the Rams. The Packers would then go to Detroit and play Detroit. And then Philly would have the five seed with Tampa Bay at four. I think that it's most likely that San Francisco wins. Some of the other games that are going on, Dallas is playing Washington. Now, if Washington does end up winning that game, then it looks like the um, Eagles would most likely end up as the number two seed with Dallas at number five. But Dallas, I really don't think is going to lose to Washington. The Eagles also are playing the Giants. I mean, you know, it's possible, but I I, I think the Eagles beat the Giants. And so um, the, the only other games that kind of matter, Tampa and Carolina, again, you can't really get much easier games than this. Um, if Carolina wins and then the saints are in probably, I don't, I don't freaking know. Tampa is going to beat Carolina. So the bottom line is it's more or less set. And it just comes down to, can the bears, can the Packers beat the bears and will the 49ers beat the Rams? And I think they will. And so the, the way that I think this lays out, because, you know, the Packers, if assuming they win, I, um, well, let me just see here. Cardinals, Seahawks, does that make any difference? It doesn't look like it. Um, and Vikings, Lions, doesn't matter. I don't know if this matters. I'm just playing with a couple of these here. doesn't look like it. Okay, so if the 49ers win, which they may, we'll see. Dallas beats Washington, which, let's be honest, they probably will. The Eagles beat the Giants, which they should. Tampa beats Carolina, which they should. You'll have. The Rams play Dallas, and we play Detroit in Detroit. Now, the the best part about this is that the only team that I'm looking at in the entire NFC in this field that I'm really scared of is the 49ers. If we're the seventh seed, we win, we go to the 49ers. 
It's done. I mean, they're going to play the seventh. They're going to play the lowest seed. And if you're the seventh, then you go there. If we win, we don't go there, assuming the Rams beat Dallas. So the point is there's a path here to continue on and not only continue on, but to beat the next team. So let's say the Rams beat Dallas, which is a very real possibility. I think Dallas is playing well, but they're not as unbeatable as, as they once were. And the Rams are really, really ramping it up. So the Rams would then go to San Francisco, and we would play the winner of either Philadelphia or Tampa Bay. Now, I know we just got beat by Tampa. I get that. But these are beatable teams. Then we just need the Rams to beat the 49ers, which, I mean, you don't want to play a Rams team that seems super hot beating Dallas and San Francisco. However, number one, Matt LaFleur has got that team figured out. Number two, it would then be in Green Bay. You don't want to know the path to the Super Bowl? It's the Rams. They need to lose to the 49ers, then beat Dallas, and then beat the 49ers. The Packers would then have to beat Detroit, the Eagles or Tampa, whoever that is, and then play at home against the Rams, and then boom, you're probably going to see Baltimore in the Super Bowl. Obviously, this is, I'm I'm half joking because this is very uh, pie in the sky, but I mean, it it more or less does feel kind of set. It just comes down to, um, can you beat the Bears, and can the 49ers pull it off against the Rams, which if you look at the, the odds right now, 49ers are four and a half point favorites. So, I mean, it's it's really shaping up right now to be if we win, we're not only in, but we get the number six seed and we're playing Detroit, which is a very winnable game. We've already done it, beating Detroit in Detroit. If, however, the Green Bay Packers do lose the game, uh, looking at the draft order, obviously we don't know as far as the playoffs, but it won't really matter. It looks like if I just estimate who wins what games, just kind of go through and simulate simulate what makes the most sense. The Green Bay Packers would be sitting at pick number 12. So the draft order would be Chicago number one. Uh, then it would be Minnesota 10. So it would be the, a run on NFC North. Minnesota 10, Chicago 11, Green Bay 12. We can give Jets the Jets their second round pick back to move up to nine to jump the Bears and Vikings and steal a really good player because that would just be funny. Just kidding. I don't really want to do that, but it would be funny. So that's what we're looking at. Unless you're just jonesing for that number 12 pick, we need to be all in. And again, I think a lot of this is set. There's some weird things that can happen that can change things, but it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, um, we're, we're looking at probably lining up against Detroit, otherwise probably lining up against Dallas. But man, oh man, it's crazy to think we're one week away from getting into the playoffs. I don't know why it feels like we're we're like the Browns and haven't been to the playoffs in years. It's like, I can't believe we might actually go to the playoffs. I don't know why. It's just, it's a different feeling for me anyways this year. Whereas before it always just felt like, yeah, you go to the, like, that's just the automatic part. Then it's a question of like, can you actually get to or win the Super Bowl? I feel like there's more of an appreciation, at least on my part, of, of actually being a team that gets to the playoffs. And then then there's just the hope that comes from that. Like, dude, what if? And you never know. And can't believe we got in and... I don't know. It's just fun. I'm having fun. This is a good time. Anyways, I want to end with something that's uh, kind of a funny little conspiracy theory going around. You know how much I love those. There is a video here. I think I'll play the video, actually. Here is the locker room. And of course, what comes with the locker room is handing out game balls. So make sure you listen very carefully to everyone that gets a game ball. Hey, all I got to say, man, we came with a purpose tonight. It wasn't for one quarter. That was four quarters. Give it up for yourself. Understand Understand this. It just gives us another week to advance. We had a lot of guys get banged up tonight. You got to take care of yourself, man. 
you got to take care of yourself and get your mind ready and your body ready for a, for a battle in our house on Sunday. All right, with everything in front of us, we hold the pen. Hey, a lot of great performances tonight. First of all, give it up for Aaron Jones with 120. Twenty-four of three. How about the offensive line? Six catches, one hundred five. But understand, it don't mean unless we handle our business next week. Family on three, one, two, three. Family. All right, you did a very, very good job of paying close attention, right? Did you hear Joe Barry's name get mentioned? Because I didn't hear Joe Barry's name get mentioned. But you can clearly see, as the video progressed, Joe Barry holding a game ball. So it leads one to wonder why... Of all the things that went on, especially handing out game balls, you would cut out Joe Barry getting a game ball. Why would you do that? Now, we could have not as fun takes and just say, you know, they didn't want the negative comments below the video because they knew people would say negative stuff and they don't really want that. Maybe, maybe that's the reality. You could borderline even say probably that's the reason. But that's freaking boring. So you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say Matt LaFleur and his continued effort to pump up Joe Barry and talk about how great he is and how great the defense is and all that stuff, which he did in his press conference, decided that he would give Joe Barry credit for a great game. And maybe, just maybe, the reaction wasn't, let's just say, as well-received as some of the other game balls that were handed out. And so they said, we better not put that in the video. Anyways, that's that's the conspiracy theory going on. I would be stunned, honestly, if he handed out a game ball and there wasn't a response. I mean, we've heard players, you know, more or less defend Joe Barry and all that stuff. But boy, would that be funny to think about. Hand him a game ball and it's just kind of like... <laughs> just the slowest of claps. <sighs> Somebody's got the video, man. I mean, somebody at... The Packers organization has the full unedited video, and we got to find it. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.